You're listening to The Interrobang Room, a podcast that challenges individuals to be passionately curious. My name is Douglas Witherup, and I'm the senior pastor to the Multiply family of churches. Join us as I sit down with industry leaders as we laugh, converse, and sometimes debate our way through how to approach life with a spirit of discovery and adventure. Welcome to the Interrobang Room. It is so good to have you joining us uh, today. I am your host, Doug Witherup, here with John Hernandez and Zach Witt. So let's jump right in today, guys. This is going to be kind of part two, almost kind of a quasi part three of we're hitting the same general thing, but this has been something that uh, we're in the middle of, that we're leading through in our organization currently And uh, John, you just mentioned like you were looking all over the place for content um, on this and you're finding nothing. So hopefully what we can do is step in and be a a unique voice, if not a voice. I guess we're a unique voice because we're one of the only voices. (laughs) But the idea is, is, and I want to encourage you, if you didn't catch last week's episode, um, go go back and hit that. We, We started talking about how to implement change in an organization during times of crisis. So leading change in and of itself um, in any organization brings, brings its, uh, it brings its challenges, but it brings lots of excitement. It mm. brings vision. But how, how do you lead that during a crisis? How do you lead that dur- during um, a pandemic and all the things that we're, that we're going uh, through today? So what I want to do is kind of part two of that. Um, how to lead change during a crisis, but specifically, uh, I've titled this one, how to start a movement, how to start a movement. I think one of the ways that we could define movement would be simply that the followers in an organization have as much or more passion about the direction of the organization as the leader. Mm, That's good. So, uh, let's take Apple. That's an easy one. Users of Apple products are as or more passionate about the use of their product than the people that work at Apple, than, than Steve Jobs, than Wozniak. Then, now I'm not saying those guys weren't super passionate, but they were, their followers are nat- natural evangelists, mm. right? So as a leader of an organization, when do you hit momentum? When do you hit the point of a, of a movement? It's when I would argue that the people in that organization are just as passionate or more passionate. They're talking about it without being prompted. They're sharing about it without, without being prompted. So momentum, like momentum, the, the saying is that you're never as good as you are when you have, uh, you're never as good as, as you seem when you have it. You're never as bad as you seem without it, but you want it. You all, you always want momentum. Um, so let's jump down. One of the questions that, uh, that I was posing to us is how can you generate energy, passion, and momentum in your organization during this unique season? John, I'm going to throw it your way for, for uh, you to address that. Yeah, so like you had mentioned earlier, um, as we were preparing for this podcast, normally I do the, the, the work of digging through old articles, trying to find somebody who can give me some insight to make some truth known 
um, we don't have much when it comes to the way of pandemic. So I started asking myself. Because you go, because the natural response is you go into survival mode. Without a doubt. Without and a that's, a, I think that is a natural human response. Man, I just, I need to survive. Yeah. Nobody, your brain is not trained to think, how can I change? Yeah, without a and, doubt. And how can I generate movement and momentum? And the scary part of that, specifically when you, when you talk about the current season we're living in with pandemic, um, everything has changed so drastically that if methodologies, methodologies don't change, what you go back to can absolutely leave you in a place of failure. Yeah. Because what you've trusted for years doesn't work anymore. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of figure out what I've learned so far through this pandemic and how that applies to these areas of momentum, passion, and energy. So um, what I've learned first is pandemics will always expose what you've put your weight into. What you put your weight into. Now, uh, regardless what sector of of life you're kind of navigating this into, what has happened when uh, um, society kind of shuts down and you're back at home, the things that you have put your weight into, the things you've put your trust into, instantly become exposed. It becomes obvious the things that you absolutely desperately need. And for businesses, for leaders, uh, one of the things that this can be a season for is reevaluating your why and making sure that your why is the crux of everything that you're doing, your organization's doing. I think it's a really good opportunity for you to readjust the why of your people. Because often what happens is we move from our why to our product and then our product then takes on the form of our why mm. And, and, you know, we can, we can give you example after example of this. Uh, you know, it could be a, a, a business's why to make sure people are connected. So if that's my why and I produce this handset that helps people get connected and then it's so successful, I'm seeing my bottom line just move up through the roof and then a pandemic happens or there's a shift in, in economy or a shift in culture, that handset is not accepted like it once was. Well, that business can crumble if that leader is not able to reshift everybody to, wait, wait, our why isn't the handset. Our why is to connect people. Um, I believe that this has happened within the scope of the, what we do day to day, right? Like within the scope of the church. This has been an opportunity to reexamine our why again. Why is it that we do what we have been doing for what seems like decades now? And ultimately, we generate passion when we can remind people of the why. So do you think that during these times, when you go back to, do you think it's more discovering the original why? Or do you think in some cases it's a... um, it's a tweaking of, of the why. No, that's a great question. I think so much of that is dependent on what we're actually talking about. So, you know, the why for us in our current field of focus, that's been the same why since the day that this book was written, since the day that we came to a relationship with Jesus and stepped into ministry life. That why has not changed. Um, some of the whys change if you're an entrepreneur. Why? Because culture has changed. So the need in culture has changed. So maybe the why does shift then. Do you think though, do you think the why changes or do you think the methodology of accomplishing the why changes? I think both. And, and that, that kind of leads to the next idea that I've learned in COVID and that's methodologies or systems will be tested yeah. in seasons like this. Um, and I'm just trying to think because I think this is important. I don't I don't yeah. want to uh, sit too much on this, but I'm just trying to think of an example on where the why might change. I can't think of one. I, where the why, I can't. Where the I why can't changes. either. 
I think maybe maybe what you experience is mission drift from your original why. Yeah. Or you or it's an additive to your why. So I think we oftentimes organizations or leaders or what have you will add to their why. So it it quote unquote changes, but that initial why connecting people doesn't change. No, without a doubt. The only reason I bring up that there's maybe a shift in the why is I, I can think of a 55-year-old who has spent his whole life in IT, and now, because of the pandemic, he's on furlough, thinking in the back of his head, do I want to spend the rest of my life on IT? Like maybe this is a shift or a season where I can shift in the why. When it comes to corporations across the board, like, yeah, I do think that it's a return to the understanding of what the original why is, no doubt. But I do it's, think yeah. it's kind of the the one of the classic stories. There is the railroad industry, exactly right. Of they, the 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 railroad industry thought that they were in the train business, no. and they weren't. They were in the transportation business. Right. So if they would have returned to their why and just said, "We're in the transportation business," we may use trains, we may not. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I, I'm, I, I think I would tend to think that if you're talking organi- just organizational yep. life, right, that this would be a, a season of, man, if I'm a leader during the pandemic, I just want to take a blank sheet of paper and write why in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. And probably that's not something new. It's probably something old. Yeah, agreed. It, it's what it's your found. It's your origin story, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Let's go back to let's let's go. Um, let's take Avengers episode 345, whatever movie <laughs> number we're on. Let's go, let's do a good origin story. Yeah. And when you go back to your origins, that that's why, why, when I think you, uh, discover your why, I mean, let's talk about this even in Zach. So we just walk in our organization. We just walked through a name change. Yeah. What was one of the things that we did in tying to our origin story through that name change? Yeah, we, just, we, went, we went back to, to, you talking about with pastor Tom? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we just went back to, to the why. Mm-hmm. I mean, we went back to, and for us, and John, you mentioned it, like the why for, in our industry and what we do, um, the why has never changed. Yeah. Um, the methodology might change. Right. The, the implementation might change, uh, but the why never changes. And so we were telling, we were telling, so we're a 62-year-old organization. We were walking through a very significant name change in our organization during a pandemic when you're, when our uh, when you're not getting real-time feedback, because most of our feedback would be weekend worship services where we see people in the lobby and eyeballs, and so we're not we're seeing mm-hmm. maybe 33% return across the organization um, at this point. But one of the things we did is we returned to that origin story mm-hmm. and just told that story. This is story. the why. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is the why that mm-hmm. it's about. Um, for us, it's about Jesus and it's about people, and it's really that simple, but then... Um, how to then mo- motivate that and operate out of our why during this time. I think it's important to note um, that the why, even corporately, take it out of the scope of, of church, even corporately, the why should have some feel of people in it and not a product. When your why is a product, what ends up happening is as the market shifts, you're, you're, you're stuck with the product. You've kind of tied yourself mm-hmm. to the wrong anchor. But when it's people-based, as people shift, it gives you permission to shift along with them. And that's, to me, how you generate passion is by reminding people of the why. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even think of um, how I react to things. You're not going to get, you won't get my buy-in until I know why. Yeah. Yeah. And that, 
I, I suppose that's some uh, stubbornness in me and a little bit of rebellion, but I don't care how good your story is. I don't care how slick your presentation is. I don't care what your end goals are until I know the why. I just won't, I won't buy in. But as soon as I know the why, and if that resonates with me, I'm in. Yeah. Heart and soul. You well, got me. I'll go with what John was saying, too. I, uh, we, we started a, a group of entrepreneurs. We meet uh, once, a, once or twice a month, and, and we were talking about business ideas and, and what we would throw out. And, and you can throw out whatever idea you want to, but until I hear people involved, until I, I hear I want to I reach people or mm-hmm. this is what I want to do for people, going back, tying what you said, Doug, and what, what you said, John, the why is often, if not all the time, always connected to, to what are you doing for people. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and that's, and that's something that regardless of the industry, um, at the end of the day, it's people. Without a doubt. So whether it's a product, but the product is for people, people, trains were to transport people or to deliver product to people. So, um, Churches is the, is the easy one, but how, ma- how many churches, like this should be obvious, our, our quote, product is people. It's, li- it's life change. It's, we want people, um, we want people in our organization to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, but like not just that, we want them to have better families, better marriages. Mm-hmm. We want their finances to be better. And there's a lot of systems and products that go along with that, but the focus is people. And I would, I think, I would argue in any organization, whether you're, uh, whether you're selling sneakers or iPhones or whatever, the pro- it's people. It's yeah, it's people. So it's a good place to start. What what else, John? So so I'm a I'm out there. I'm like, how do I how do I generate momentum? Because it doesn't seem like like we can generate momentum. How can I get energy? How can I get some momentum? What else? Uh, could I do? Yeah. So once you have your why, the next thing that's almost, it kind of goes hand in hand is these pandemic, this pandemic has tested systems. So the how to the why is what gets tested. And what we found is that for a lot of people, they were holding the methodology above the purpose. And when you hold the methodology above the purpose and then you have something like a pandemic happen, well, just regardless what your industry is, a lot of times the methodology is to deliver the solution to the why. Well, when the methodology becomes so rigid and the people move, well, you're not delivering anything to no one. So you, you want to create a culture where there's a flexibility when it comes to systems because at that point, I believe that's where you can generate mo- momentum. A lot of times, if you're not careful, systems will stifle um, the, the creativity that's necessary, the ingenuity that's necessary to move to where the why is taking you. So, um, I, you know, it, it's a silly example, but uh, we recently made an email server shift. Well, as silly as that is, people had customs, habits. This is how I navigate my email. This is what my system looked like. In some organizations, if the culture is not right, that's a six-month process. You're dealing with the headache of bad attitudes. Productivity goes down. But because in our, in our culture, we're okay with the shifting of system, we're okay with the, system, uh, the shifting of methodologies, it almost like it wasn't too bad. There was a couple of weeks of just kind of getting used to it. Now, again, multiply that over to some of the key things that you're doing in your business currently. When a market shifts the way that it has, your customers were all online at the beginning of this pandemic. If you remember, everything was a Zoom call. Everybody was jumping online. Facebook numbers were going through the roof. Well, 
there's a real thing called techno exhaustion. Like people are exhausted now. So if your methodologies become deified and they can't move and they can't shift and we can't move them, well then you you become susceptible to being frozen in the market and that's not that's not a good place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um we talked about last week four like four people when we use this the story. I won't retell the story, but I'll just use the four people in any organization during when you're trying to generate momentum. You have um, the person who's in charge, so the Saul, who the guy who who may be in charge, or the the gal who may be in charge, but that is more concerned about their title mm. or their current uh, position than leading change. And then you have a Jonathan, which is the person that has the courage to act. You have um, you have the uh, uh, armor armor bearer who is the the person that adds the heart and soul to that. But then you have you have the person who's who who feels like it's their moral mission in life to protect the status quo, mm. right? So it's not just this is the person and they're they're in every organization, um, but the person who. It's not just, hey, I don't like this change. It's like they, they view it as their moral purpose for being on planet Earth is to protect the status quo. Zach, can you talk about, like, uh, how do you, can you win that person over? Mm. And, and if so, like, how? Because one of the things that you're really good at is just relationally. Like, when you walk into people that are resistant to change and very... Uh, just heels dug in to, to change. What are some things that you can do to kind of that person that views it as their moral obligation that we're going to protect the way things were? Yeah, yeah. When I think of, uh, of individuals like that, I have to remind myself um, that it's not that they're against a new idea. They just want to make sure that the organization can continue forward. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the way it's continued forward or, or the way it has been progressing is, is working. There's nothing wrong with it. So it might, it might be on an upward trajectory, um, but we've talked about the sigmoid curve several times. And, and so that person just, it's not that they don't want to jump. They just don't know when to jump. Mm-hmm. They'll jump if things start going bad. Yep. And so it's helping them understand it's where good. we are isn't where we're going. Uh, and so oftentimes it's, it's through language and it's through understanding the person, uh, speaking their language. Hey, I, I know you're guarding this and I know why. Um, let me show you how what we've done is actually going to propel us to our future. So we're not giving up uh, what we've done. We're just using it as rocket boosters to get us to where we're going. Yeah. Now, ultimately, it's probably going to fall off and we're going to have to shift. However, this is the new culture that we're carrying. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked about a, a name change, right? And we've talked about things that we've started. Man, we had to take a hard evaluation of, of things that we wanted to move in a different direction. And so the individuals who were not the early adapters, it sure. took them some time to, to come on board. Uh, but the more that we told the story, yeah. the more that we showed where we were yeah. going, the more they kind of veered from, you know, those heels in the stand to, you know, I think I can, I think I can get on board with this. Yeah. So the har- you hit it though. The hardest time to change is when things are going yeah. well. Yes. Yeah. Because you don't have a burning platform. I was, I was in a, a, I serve on the board of a nonprofit. We had a meeting last week. One of the guys on the nonprofit, he's, he's a guy that you can listen to his stories for days. He's, a, um, he's an entrepreneur. He's a, 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 he was the mayor of his town. Elected. He's just had his hand in all kinds of things. He has led one of his kind of nuances in life is he leads turnarounds. Mm. 
So he said, that's easy. Leading a turnaround is easy. When you walk into a company and and employee morale is (laughs) down and the product's not selling and the budget's tanking, you can change everything because it's obvious. Mm -hmm. He said, it's really hard to step into an organization that it seems like on the surface things are going just fine, but it may be you need to take what's going well to the next level. He says, that's hard. Well, even in even in times of crisis, kind of John, to some of your points, there were there were moments that uh, I've talked to, to friends in different industries that their organization would go, "Hey, at least we're surviving, so we don't need to change right mm-hmm. now. As as long as we can survive this season." Well, the problem is you don't know how long the season is, yeah. and so if you're if you're just surviving, then then you're not you're not thriving. You're actually dying. Yeah, right? and so, there's a temptation to this. Right, like there's a temptation, and, and I, I point to you because, again, as the leader of this, this organization, um, like this sits on you a little bit. There, there's got to be a temptation to return to what we know. So, again, pandemic, people have left, and not left the church, but they're, they're at home, and they're yeah. watching online. Sure. And we're trying to, you know, the, the thought of as, as things safely reopen, and, and the reason I bring this up is because so many people – even outside of the church context, are trying to figure some of this out. How to get people not back to a uh, uh, old routine, but just back to some routine, right. Right? right? So, But there is a temptation to, okay, two years ago we did this and it packed the house out. Talk a little bit about how you've been able to navigate the temptations of going back to old systems and then sometimes going back to old systems is wise. And then sometimes it's not and how you've been able to balance some of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's, what is a little bit unique and I'm just going to speak about our local current context. It's almost like our name change was the last, it was kind of the icing (laughs) on the cake. We changed everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of those programs um, or things that had worked in the past had already, those were the, those were the things that we'd already changed. And so we'd launched a lot of new stuff. And then it was just like, okay, now that we've done all this, um, the name change was kind of the, oh, by the way, to, for our, for us to go to the next level, we got to do this. So like, um, I'll use Christmas as an example. Last year we did something brand, brand new and we did an outdoor uh, Christmas festival, huge success, thousands, thousands of people on, um, on our campus. We hit our target audience. We were, you know, celebrating that one of the decisions that we had to make during this pandemic was do, do you do that again or not? And we got into a room and, um, John, you were leading this creative actually, but it was like within about a minute, we were all just, yes, yes, yes. Now we had to change a couple of things about that and the delivery systems for it. But we made the decision of like, we're, we're going to go ahead. Uh, we're going to go ahead with it. So I think like if I'm looking at things um, for us right now, I am looking just practi- very practical for leaders. I would say like look to things in your recent season that have been energy producers and momentum builders. And don't, don't jump off those too soon. Now, I'll say this. If it was something that we'd been doing for 30 years and it was okay, 
now's the time. Yeah. Now's the yeah. time to get off that ship. Yeah. And like, I was listening to somebody the other day, they was like, blame COVID for everything. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like what don't you know for everything? Hey, why are you doing that COVID? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It makes makes sense. Why'd you bet? Why'd you buy the? Why'd you buy that jacket? COVID. Oh yeah. You know, just blame every, blame everything on COVID. But I would say, just very practically, um, now may not be the time to give up on everything that you've done. Look for things that have brought energy and momentum in the last three years, and say. How can I how can I retool those and reintroduce those? I think that's absolute wisdom, um, and and again, it's what creates momentum. That's yeah. the the terminology because it what this has done is given us an opportunity. And I think across the board, what we'll find is that we will be leaner and potentially more flexible coming out of this season than we ever were before it. If you if you think of it this way, um, riding a bicycle uphill. So the hardest push is the first push around on the pedals, right? So that's when you're start inertia, you have no movement and you are, you are pushing. Mm. So in your organization, it can feel like everything you're doing, you're doing from scratch. And that's where I would say of, again, like going back to finding some things of where there already was some energy and momentum and where you're not pushing the pedal around for the first time. You, it's the second pedal push. You gain a little energy and momentum. Yeah. It's the third one. You gain a little more. It's the fourth one. And then you crest the hill, right, and you start. That's when, that's when true, the true energy and momentum, when you're not doing, you're, not, you're getting more energy out of it than you're putting into it. But right now, I would say that most leaders in an organization, one of the reasons they feel so stressed and so overwhelmed is because every push, it feels like you're, you're doing the first pedal round on a, on a bike uphill. Um, and that'll, that'll drain you quick. Without a doubt. Um, and then lastly, what I've just kind of learned from the ben- pandemic is that the pandemic is, has elevated creativity. Now, I want to just preference that. Because when I say creativity, instantly a lot of people go to painting, drawing, singing, um, and, oh, that's not a creative. But there are creative problem solvers that I think right now in your organization are worth their weight in gold. Creative thinkers have become more valued, and stagnant thinkers, are they can't hide in this, in this type of environment. All I mean by stagnant thinkers are people who have lost sight of the why and maybe have hyper uh, uh, elevated the systems, but creative thinkers are, and problem solvers, I believe are what create energy in your organization. And um, th- that would be kind of my thought as it pertains to how to generate new energy in your organization is release some of those creative thinkers, those creative problem solvers. So good. So listen, we're going to wrap up and we're going to do part uh, three slash four of this <laughs> next week. Zach, I'm, I'm going to have Zach share just some top 10 practicals on how do you do this? Really, really getting into a lot of practical things. But again, let me summarize. So um, in, in leadership right now, one of the things that a lot of leaders are looking for is how do we generate energy and momentum. How can you generate energy, passion, and momentum in your organization during this unique season? Number one, what John shared, we generate passion when we remind people of the why. Number two, 
We can generate momentum when we are not a slave to our systems. And number three, we generate energy when we unleash the creatives. And that's what the Interabang Room is all about. Keep asking questions. Keep leaning in. Keep, um, keep on that road to passionate curiosity and discovery. 